a podcast about Jeopardy. Hello and welcome to Potent Potables, your weekly Jeopardy podcast where two former competitors bring you recaps and analysis of the week's Jeopardy episodes, a deep dive into a topic inspired by one of those episodes, and a quiz. I'm Kyle. And I'm Emily. And this is the week of October 9th through 13th, 2023. It's the second week of the spades round of the Champions wildcard event. <laughs> Jamboree doesn't seem right now because it's like it's like four months long. Yeah. You know, it's I just I series. Yes. Wild card. Sure. Fiasco. (laughs) (laughs) We'll we'll adjust. We'll stop. I'll stop complaining about the wild card eventually. Maybe. Maybe. Hopefully. (laughs) We'll see. Good on Michael Davies for trying new things, I guess. Right. Like, okay. Now I'm trying to come up with what to call it. Jeopardy in paradise. Is that what you call it (laughs) when you bring back? yep there we go all right jeopardy in paradise week two and we've got some quarterfinals and a semifinal this week but before we talk about that let's talk about us how are you doing kyle i'm doing all right just waiting for my new job to start i'm ready for it to start excited for that to happen any day who knows when it'll be Mm -hmm, Um, but mm -hmm. yeah just looking forward to that and you know in the meantime i've been getting some really good family time so good i'm grateful for that and you know i'm not gonna say no to it so Mm -hmm. how are you i am doing all right work is keeping me pretty busy i had a lot of various events and meetings this week but one thing that was really cool that happened this week is that mini jean brown tricky of the little rock nine came to give talks at our local schools we have my district has just one each elementary middle and high school mini jean brown came and lived here in my town of hastings for a couple of years after she was unjustly expelled from central high school in little rock after being one of the first students to desegregate it there gee (laughs) she said something that was not very nice to some white kids who were hitting her with their bags shocking (laughs) and she was expelled and she came to live here with doctors mamie and kenneth clark who were black psychologists whose research was used in brown versus board of ed and yeah she she didn't go to the local schools here she went to like a like a school in the city that they were like i think near their work they were driving her in but she came she's in her 80s now and she came and gave talks to the local each of the local schools the elementary middle and high school and those were packed with just the students and the staff but i got to watch the live stream and it was it was really cool to see and to hear some of her stories that was really nice so yeah that was that was my fun thing this week it's really interesting to hear from her Yeah. yeah and we've got some jeopardy episodes yeah so monday october 9th 2023 champions wildcard spades quarterfinal game six our contestants are lucy ricketts a book designer and freelance illustrator from atlanta georgia cameron connors a high school social studies teacher from rancho santa margarita california and phil hoffman an analyst from mountain lakes new jersey and the jeopardy round categories are a brief history of time t-h-y-m-e 
Thomas Aquinas, advice columnist. Third graders know this stuff. Travel Texas, body shots, and the heavyweight champion of the world. Going, you know, not very far back for us, the $200 clue and $400 clue of heavyweight champion of the world were correct answers in my quiz last week. Mm-hmm. Did you get them? Uh, yes, I did. I mean, I assume you knew the grill guy. I did know the grill guy. <laughs> and of course, they showed a picture for the 400. I mean, they showed a picture for all of them, but $400 clue. Some stats from a 1966 title bout. Over three rounds, he threw 100 plus punches, took less than 10, and knocked down his foe four times. Of course, that's mm-hmm. Muhammad Ali. Yep. The greatest. Mm-hmm. Watching this, you know, this is a Monday show right after, like the day after we had recorded that quiz. And I was like, oh, I know mm-hmm. those people. Also, I do want to, like, the third graders know this stuff category. Let's say some third graders know this stuff. Hmm. Hmm. Because, I mean, I've worked with some kids in my life, and I will bet any amount of money that not every third grader knows this stuff. Whether they have been taught it is a different question. But do they know it? No. Yeah. Probably not. It's I mean, in the third grade curriculum would maybe yeah. be a more correct. Yeah. Like it, this information has been presented to third graders. Yeah. <laughs> but that's not a snappy. <laughs> it's not a snappy category title. Yeah. <laughs> information that's supposed to be put in front of third graders at some point. <laughs> it doesn't roll off the tongue. Yeah. The Thomas Aquinas advice columnist category appeared in 2002 but they had a different $200 level clue. So I wonder hmm. if they've been producing a sixth clue for every category all this time and whether they have all of those. Um, I think I think so. I think that's just yeah. the standard practice, right? Cuz in case so. you need to replace a clue. Yeah. You got to have the sixth one and I think that's just always been there. Always been the process. Yeah. All right. Well, they sub they subbed in the sixth clue, I I suppose, for Thomas Aquinas advice columnist. I'm fascinated with this whole like recycling material process. It is interesting. I mean, interesting to people who you know care deeply about it. So mm-hmm. they did well with that Thomas Aquinas category. The only one they mm-hmm. missed was the thousand dollar level. You're scared. No, your parish priest can't give you this. A release from secular punishment. Go get it over with. Phil tried what is absolution that is like religious forgiveness right mm-hmm. and Cameron was trying to think of a response and ran out of time they were looking for an indulgence yeah yeah daily double number one is in travel Texas at the thousand dollar level pick number 15 Lucy finds it she's at 3800 Phil is at negative 400 and Cameron's at zero so she's out to a good lead and she wagers 3000 which is the right thing to do it's a clue named for its location on the Rio Grande. This national park is popular with birders as it is home to over 400 species. She gets correct with what is Big Bend National Park. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Lucy is way out ahead at 10,600. Cameron's at 2,400. Phil is at 400. We get the double Jeopardy categories. A brief history of time. This time, just regular time. I'm still standing. They give you three characters from a literary work, and you tell which one is still alive at the end. Candle in the Wind, Circle of Life, 
I'd Like to Solve the Puzzle, and Elton John Songs. Is I'd Like to Solve the Puzzle an Elton John song? I don't think so. It seems like they used half of a themed board. Is that's I'm what still, I that's what I was curious about. Elton John song? I don't uh, I'm I, not. It's a song, is it Elton John? Yeah, it is. Okay. Yeah. Is it cool. the same one All I'm right, thinking so, of? It is, so, yes. So okay. two-thirds of a themed board, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Brief History of Time, I assume, is not an Elton John song. It is certainly a reference to the previous category and a Stephen Hawking work. Maybe, right? you know, maybe it's a collaboration. Maybe uh, yeah, we just always we always look to Stephen Hawking. Maybe Elton John was in on that. We don't know. Who don't knows, know. really? Yeah. Yeah. There's no way of knowing. Yeah. Yeah, that's weird to take part of it. Oh, still. I mean, it it, it works enough, I guess, because it's like I get it. I get Sometimes it. Sometimes they the... do like partial themed boards, but yeah, but still. And, but usually they touch each other. Having the I'd like to solve the puzzle in like in between feels weird. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, it does. It feels weird. Spoilers on I'm still standing. Yeah, really. <laughs> Jeez. All of these works are. At least 150 years old, so I really have no grounds to complain. I don't know. Maybe you haven't read them yet. Yeah. Ooh. Childhood trauma at the $400 level and all over Twist Fagan, Nancy, Artful Dodger, Cameron Tried, who is Nancy? I still remember that on-screen murder. Nancy is not still standing at the end. (laughs) The Artful Dodger does make it through, though. Which makes sense. Yeah. (laughs) yes i guess it does i didn't remember how a fellow ended (laughs) like you don't you you don't need to know that for jeopardy normally i mean i hear you do but normally it's like you know you need to know like iago othello like green-eyed monster right jealousy Mm -hmm. themes like yeah iago survives apparently yeah I yeah. mean, it's kind of a, it's a, it's a 50, 50. Cause like the main plot point is Othello kills Desdemona. Right. right. That one I knew. And then it's like, okay, well, which one then is it a tragedy? Mm, probably the main character is dead. Yep. Right. Is it a comedy? Maybe they're both alive. Mm-hmm. The first argument that my wife and I ever had was in high school when we just started dating. We read John Gardner's Grendel mm. after reading Beowulf. And my wife took the position of, Grendel was misunderstood. Grendel was put in a difficult position, and Grendel wasn't a bad guy. And I was like, Grendel slaughtered a a a, a mead hall full of people. He's a bad guy. He was hungry, he, <laughs> or something. <laughs> he, I mean, in in I'm Grendel, he was like angry and confused about his sexuality or something. It was weird, but. Huh. I took the position of, no, Grendel's a bad guy, and my wife was like, no, he's just a victim of circumstance. <laughs> we, we still do not see eye to eye on that. That's great. I, have, I haven't read Grendel. I have read Beowulf. I mean, in, in Beowulf, he's just, like, objectively a beg. Right. I've read Beowulf in the original Anglo-Saxon. Oh, yeah. Yeah. What a flex. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> do not recommend taking, taking Anglo-Saxon. It is one of four dead languages I've studied. I was going to say, maybe just one dead language per lifetime. 
yeah is probably yeah, fine that's, yeah i mean if you're a minister hebrew and greek like sure you know but latin and anglo-saxon really maybe i should have maybe i should have taken something actually useful <laughs> Daily Double number two is in A Brief History of Time at the $1,200 level. It's pick number four, super early in the round, and Phil finds it. He's at 2000 with Cameron at 2400 and Lucy at 11800 He wagers 1990 all but $10. And gets the clue, an 1884 conference chose the meridian of this facility's transit instrument as the prime starting point for time zones. And Phil says, what is Greenwich? Ken says, can you be more specific? Phil says, what is Greenwich, England? Ken just waits. Yeah. I don't know if he was waiting for a ruling from the judges or, you know, didn't want to say be more specific again, but like Phil was like on the right track. I don't know. Anyway, Mm -hmm. before before we get a no, and it's a long pause, Phil eventually says, what is the observatory of Greenwich? Mm Mm-hmm. And that's that's what they were looking for. They needed observatory. Right. So he does get credit. Daily double number three is later on. Pick number 20. It's in Candle in the Wind at the $1,600 level. Phil also finds this one. He's at $7,190. Cameron's at $9,600. Lucy's at $12,600. And he wagers $5,000. Uh, gets a clue from Latin for barely connected. This solid white substance is water insoluble and can precede oil. He's not able to get there. He guesses what is al- albinus, but that is paraffin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, we had a we had a an unfortunate miss at the two thousand dollar level of that clue i'd I'd forgotten Mm, i wanted mm -hmm. to come around to this the clue there was we'd know the type of candle seen here from this to post (laughs) and they had a bunch of candles all together some of them were red some of them were black some of them were green camera rang in and said what is kwanzaa Kwanzaa. Uh, that is not correct it turned into a triple stumper they are they are pillar candles so apparently from pillar to post is some kind of idiom i don't know that one I don't either. But. Yeah. Ken notes that he doesn't know what from Kwanzaa to post <laughs> means. But I thought Kwanzaa was a good guess there. Yeah, they're clearly Kwanzaa candles. Yeah. I mean, clearly Kwanzaa candles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the way know, they're like, arranged, the color, uh-huh. like it's, it's, yeah. 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 So I just wanted to, you know, Cam- Cameron cannot get credit on Jeopardy, but he gets, he gets credit with me. Those are Kwanzaa candles. Yeah. Yeah. So at the end of the double Jeopardy round, Phil is at 990, Cameron at 6800, and Lucy's in a lock position with 16,200. That is low for a lock score, but hey, good for her. Yeah. The final Jeopardy category is women authors, and the clue is, in a room of one's own, the four famous names are Austin, two Brontes, and this author who died closest to Virginia Woolf's own time. Phil can't come up with anything. He just has who is. He's wagered 801. That drops him to 189. Cameron wrote who is love you guys i had a blast godspeed that's that's a lot it's also not, incorrect not correct and he wagered everything so he drops to zero and lucy figured it out it she has who elliot george elliot she had a g it's crossed out smart move never mm-hmm. put the first name if you don't have to and she wagered 500 which gives her 16,700 and the semi-finalist spot 
That brings us to Tuesday when we have the contestants Robert Kane, an editor from Los Angeles, California, Joe Velasco, a director of customer care originally from La Mirada, California, and Morgan Bryles, former guest Morgan Bryles, a librarian from Norman, Oklahoma. You know, we don't play favorites here on this show. But she's our favorite. But but when they've already been on our podcast, I don't think that's ever happened before. Yeah. So, of course, of course, we know who we're pulling for. Jeopardy Mm -hmm. round categories are not-so-recent science, NASCAR geography, composers and their kin, heraldry, moist things, Mm. and go blank. (laughs) Finally, finally, $400 clue of composers and their kin. Finally. The clue is his 18th child, Johann Christian, wrote operas for the King's Theater in London. Joe said, who is Bach? Finally, we get a more specifically. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Ken. Thank you, Jeopardy writers, for being on strike. Mm -hmm. Standing up for what's important so that we could finally get a more specific on Bach. Mm hmm. I am like Sisyphus dying on this hill over and over again. <laughs> that's how the that's how the Sisyphus yeah. myth goes, right? He rolls it that's, up and then it kills him, right? Yeah, mm-hmm, that's how it goes. Yes, over and over again. <laughs> yes, mm-hmm. Prometheus also. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> so the the Haydn question came up. Though he wrote a number of operas, Michael Haydn is far less famous than this older brother. Joe said, who is, I I said, I'm on my couch. And I said, who is Haydn? And then remembered that would not be (laughs) sufficient. Right. (laughs) Joe rang in and said, who is Thomas Haydn? I think, yeah, that that was not correct. The name that came to mind for me was Franz Joseph. It is. Haydn. Okay, it is Franz Franz Joseph. Because later on on in the game, we get Franz Joseph, the other guy. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Franz Joseph, the... Of Austria, Hungary, mm-hmm. yeah, that one. So, but but Haydn, all like like Joseph Haydn is also a Franz Joseph. Mm-hmm. Okay, all right. It, it is Franz Joseph Haydn. Yeah. Okay. But he went by F. J. Haydn, or he, I mean, he went by Joseph a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's kind of how he was known. So. Okay. Cool. I ruled myself wrong at home, but that but now I'm googling it, and I'm like, wait, he is a Franz Joseph Haydn. I don't know why I had that in my brain. Because that's his real name. It is his real name. Morgan knows her NASCAR, NASCAR geography. Yeah, she did well. Yeah. She got almost all of them. Mm-hmm. Very impressive. Yeah. I mean, she's from Oklahoma, which is kind of NASCAR country. Mm-hmm. I could see that being, you know, being part of her upbringing. Yeah. All right. Daily Double number one is in heraldry at the $800 level. Morgan finds it at pick number 29. We're almost to the end of the round. She is at 8800 with Joe at 3400 and Robert at 200 She has got a solid leader lead and she wagers 2500 of it. And she gets the clue. The white at the top of the Canadian Territorial Coat of Arms, there's a picture, represents polar regions. The wavy blue line, this trade route. And... She gets it correct. It is the Northwest Passage. Nice job, Morgan. And at the end of the Jeopardy round, Morgan's in the lead by a lot with 11,300. Joe's at 3,400. Robert is at 200. And the double Jeopardy categories are nice side whiskers. Brando, they will provide the role. You name the film. I wrote that line. Give us the author, Ken says. 
gas, food, and lodging. The $1,600 level of nice side whiskers is the one that I absolutely knew was going to be there. There's a mm-hmm. picture, and then here's this general late in life still sporting his signature side whiskers. That is Burnside. And I think that sideburns are like sort of named, named for Burnside. Him. Yeah. That's what I had learned as well, whether that's yeah. apocryphal or not. Yeah. Yep. Okay. All right. It does seem to be correct. And then we had the Franz Joseph Franz Ferdinand thing just below that at the $2,000 level. I showed a picture of his long reign over Austria-Hungary, ended with his death in 1916. That's going back to a very recent deep dive as well. Mm-hmm. The Habsburgs. Yep. Their rule ending in 1916 with Franz Joseph. Uh, that was a $4,000 swing in Morgan's favor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The $1,600 level of lodging a San Diego icon, the Hotel Del This, has been hosting guests, including presidents, since the 1880s. Robert got that. That is the Hotel Del Coronado. And that is... We went and stayed there for a couple of days when we were not in Greece. (laughs) When we were supposed to be in Greece and we weren't in Greece because passport stuff. And we went and stayed there. And so the Hotel Del Coronado also is where the florida scenes of some like it hot were filmed um oh not yeah. in florida not in florida no oh uh, no they florida filmed filmed california for florida and oh, it has classic. like kind of an iconic like the like it is it's a very distinctive building yeah so that was fun to see it come up on jeopardy having having just been there nice yeah daily double number two is in the brando category this is where Robert started and they stayed. So it's pick number five at the $1,600 level. Robert uncovers it. He's at 1800 Morgan's at 12900 And Joe is at 4200 He wagers all 2000 that he can and gets the clue. Rebellious Naval Lieutenant Fletcher Christian. And he, he seems to not be sure, but he works his way around to mutiny on the bounty, mm-hmm. which is correct. Yep. I I saw that Daily Double come out and I was like, oh no, I think I, I think I would wager $5 because I saw the Brando category come out and I was like, okay, what Brando movies do I know? The Godfather, A Streetcar mm-hmm. Named Desire, Named Desire. <laughs> and On the Waterfront. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so like those were the 400, 800, and 1200. I was like, if I got those three and then hit the $1,600 level and it was a Daily Double, I'd be like, oh no. Like, oh no. <laughs> we've I, there are no more. all of the ones I know. <laughs> How can, I, how can there be another question? Yeah. There are no more. Yeah, I would have figured it out. <laughs> I mean, we, we've talked about it. We've talked about it before. Um, yeah. I mean, I know I've brought it up in like quizzes and stuff because I've talked about mm-hmm. like James Cook and, you know, yes, yes, geography right. and stuff. It mm-hmm. comes up a lot. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. No, I think I think I would have I think I would have completely panicked had I had I hit that daily double. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, oh, no. <laughs> the one the one I had left was like guys and dolls. Mm. Is it going to be Guys and Dolls? Brando was in Guys and Dolls? Yeah, he was Sky Masterson. Huh. The role that Frank Sinatra desperately wanted. Huh. But they ended up putting Frank Sinatra as Nathan Detroit. Yeah. I don't know if I've ever seen the film version of Guys and Dolls. Hmm. Hmm. It's, it's, it's all right. Daily Double number three is at the $1,600 level of I Wrote That Line. Uh, pick number 21, Joe finds it. He's at 8,200. 
with Morgan at 17,700 and Robert at 5,000. Joe Wager's 2,000. Probably want to go a little bigger, given Morgan's lead here. But okay. And he gets the clue. The men upon the floor were going about their work. Neither squeals of hogs nor tears of visitors made any difference to them. And he knows it. It is Upton Sinclair from the jungle. Upton Sinclair Lewis. Upton Sinclair Lewis. <laughs> yes. Got to pick the right half of that. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, not uh, Lewis. Up, just Upton nope. Sinclair. Just Upton Sinclair. Yeah. yeah. So at the end of the double Jeopardy round, Morgan is in a good lead at 18,900. Joe is at 10,200. And in fact, Morgan, just before this, almost had a lock, but she had an incorrect response like just before the end of the round that like brought it back into reach. Joe's at 10,200. Robert is at 8,600. Final Jeopardy category is New Zealand. And the clue is Christchurch is the largest city in this New Zealand region that shares its name with an English city known for a church begun in the sixth century. Robert guessed what is Lego because he talked about Legos in his interview. That is incorrect. And he wagered 1,400. Joe got it correct with what is Canterbury. And he wagered 10,000, so he is up to 20,200. And Morgan went with what is Westminster, mm. which is a bummer. <laughs> a reasonable guess. Absolutely. Absolutely. I just, I I kept going back and forth. Like, I was like, I, I have no way of deciding whether this is Canterbury or Westminster, so I don't know what I would put. And so she drops down and takes second place, which means Joe moves on to the semifinals. Mm-hmm. And that brings us to Wednesday, where our contestants are Carla Fawcett, a senior contestant administrator from Saco, Maine, Robert Wan, a math professor from Washington, D.C., and Sam Stapleton, a college consultant from Los Gatos, California. And the Jeopardy round categories are state the item. There will be a U.S. state in each correct response. Saturday Night Live. A van down by the river. The Californians, surely you joust and take my why, why in quotation marks, please. And Sam knows his Saturday Night Live. Pretty well, except for David S. Pumpkins. David S. Pumpkins. That was like the one I wish. Well, no, I knew a few of them. Mm -hmm. Uh, But yeah, David S. Pumpkins at the $400 level. This SNL character, who is most definitely his own thing, starred in a Halloween special in 2017. Any questions? That's David S. Pumpkins. Yep. Ken's California accent was <laughs> something. Was of- offensive, I am sure. <laughs> he seemed to regret it partway through the category. Yes. The $200 was left for, like, pick 25, and when they went back to it, he said, oh, I have to do this one more time. Alex Trebek would have just been like, no, <laughs> I'm reading it straight. Is is this Dracula? Then I am not going to do an affectation. Are you kidding me? Just remember that jousting is the state sport of Maryland. I don't know. That wasn't one of the clues, but it was a clue that I expected to come up because it's jousting. And I'm like, well, how much can you ask about jousting? And a favorite trivia gem is, of course, that it is the state sport of Maryland. I am learning that right now. Oh, oh, yes. <laughs> That's great. Yes. <laughs> Lots of jousting teams out there, I'm oh, sure. Yeah. Like high school varsity and junior varsity jousting teams. 
Daily Double number one is in the Californians. It's at a, the $800 level pick number six. Sam finds it. He is at 2600 Robert and Carl are both at zero, so he wagers it all. It's a clue. Whoa, this guy moved to Cali in 1852, got a near monopoly in its railroads, and founded a university? Nice. He gets it correct <laughs> with who is Stanford. Apparently, Leland Stanford. Mm-hmm. At the end of the Jeopardy round, Sam is at 8,600, Robert has gotten to 6,600, and Carlos at 2,000. The double Jeopardy categories are an immodest proposal, baseball movie haiku, other red, white, and blue flags, book club, grab a bite with B in quotation marks, and words within words. Pickwick Papers. Was that the $400 clue? Still remember yes. that from your, from your deep dive? Mm-hmm. Nice. I wouldn't have known it otherwise, that's for sure. Yeah, that one that one always sticks with me from Little Women, but I'm aware that I'm a weird <laughs> little women a bunch does of it, times. Does it does it come up in Little Women? Yes, yeah, the yeah, the four sisters and their like their their neighbor friend are like like obsessed with Pickwick papers and like have this whole like, you know, Pickwick club thing that they put together on their own. How about that? Yeah. And we had the Babysitter's Club at the $1,600 level. Seventh graders Christy, Mary, Anne, Claudia, and Stacy founded this club in a 1986 kids novel. Around 250 titles later, it's still in business. And Robert got that one. And I had that kind of sprawling deep dive not that long ago about like children's book series with a gajillion volumes, gajillion titles. Babysitter's you did, Club yes. was prominent in that one. Babysitter's I Club had that. an actual author, Anna M. Martin, unlike most of them that were written by some kind of publishing conglomerate with a right. with a made up name. You mm-hmm. know, made up made up author name of a person who never existed. Right. Yeah. I'm not gonna lie, it was kind of a bummer to find out that like many of these author names that I knew like were not, were real, not, people. Were not real people. <laughs> that was yeah. a name that was that was a name that was picked out by some publisher. Right. To slap like, on oh, but- like but yeah. that's my childhood. I yeah. like I pictured this person coming up with this stuff, mm-hmm. telling mm-hmm. me a story. Mm-hmm. I was friends with this person because I yeah. shared this thing with them. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, the person didn't exist. Yep. <laughs> the two thousand dollar level of an immodest proposal got a got a cackle from me. <laughs> Scylla Mullins, it's the seventeenth century baby, and I'm speaking for myself. Come on, little mama. We'll have ten kids and make Plymouth Rock. <laughs> Uh. <laughs> I don't know. I just I don't know. Anyway, Carla got it. It's John Alden. Yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> Something about make Plymouth Rock. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> this is a family show, Ken. <laughs> what are you doing, man? Yeah. Daily Double number two is in other red, white, and blue flags at the $800 level. It's pick number 13, and Sam finds this one as well. He's at 19800 with Robert at 9800 and Carla at 3600 So Sam has a $10,000 lead. He bets 7000 of it, and he gets the clue. Samoa's flag includes stars that represent this constellation. And he looks like he's guessing when he says the Southern Cross, but that's what it is. So he gains 7000 there. Yeah, I mean... I wondered too if it was like, is that, is it that easy? Yeah, you know, like, mm-hmm. like it looks like it. I think it's the Southern Cross, but also I know that shows up on a bunch of other flags. So is it the same thing? Mm-hmm. But 
The Daily Double number three is in book club at the $1,200 level, pick number 16. And Robert finds this one. He is at 10,600 behind Sam 27,200 and Carlos 3,600. He wagers 8,000, which I think is the right move, and gets the clue. A 1989 bestseller begins, My father has asked me to be the fourth corner at this. He guesses what is the baseball diamond. Of course, there was that baseball category just before, so maybe that was like, you know, distracting Mm him. Yeah. Uh, But that's the Joy Luck Club. Yeah. I thought that we were going to get the Joy Luck Club in this category, and then I saw that line, and I was like, well, the Joy Luck Club is all about mothers and daughters and you know kind of like that like it's matrilineal right it's about Mm -hmm. like you know women's familial relationships and so obviously it's not that i've got to think of something else i would have been hesitant to answer that i would have been casting around for some other response having rejected that one out of hand and i think i would be kind of mad at myself about it sure yeah yeah so at the end of the double jeopardy round Sam is at 30,800 in a lock position. Robert's at 4,600. Carla's at 7,600. And the final Jeopardy category is fine art. With the clue, an early owner of this 1889 painting full of blue and green noted how well the artist understood the exquisite nature of flowers. Robert couldn't come up with anything, but wrote, what is love you, mom and dad? He didn't wager anything, so he stays at 4,600. Carla tried what is water lilies that would have been my guess also yeah uh, mine too carla wagered everything so she drops to zero and sam wrote what is even happening right now <laughs> <laughs> which you know fair enough he didn't wager anything and he was in a lock position so he gets that semi-finalist spot and irises yeah yeah van gogh's irises is what they were looking for here yeah, I really wasn't able to decide whether it was Van Gogh or Monet. And like, I guess yeah. the exact, if you know the exact year, then that can lead you to it, I suppose. But I, yeah, I thought it was, I thought that was very hard to pin. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. And blues and greens made me think. That made me think lilies. water lilies. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I feel like irises, there's like a bigger. No, no, it is. I'm looking at it. It is like, oh, well, there's the one, there's the irises on the yellow background. I guess that's Mm. what I was thinking of. But I think I was thinking of the yellow background of irises. But, you know, but there are blues and greens there, I guess. Yeah. 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 Anyway, we get to Thursday when we have the contestants. Josh Sack, a traffic engineer from Boise, Idaho. Valerie Costello, a legal training and development manager from San Leandro, California, and Steve Clark, a lawyer from Chesapeake, Virginia. You get the Jeopardy round categories, spooky literature, let's play sports ball, words from two letters, Aaron Burr, Got Milk, and the Jeopardy World Orchestra. In the Jeopardy World Orchestra, I liked the wording of... The $800 level, this ancient instrument, is sounded on a New Year's Day. That's right. And there was a, I don't know, raspy horn kind of sound. That is a shofar, which is used on Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year. Yes. Yes. A New Year's Day points you toward a New Year's Day, but not January 1st. 
right? Not the I would yeah. say globally like recognized, but also not really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the one that's predominant here. Yeah, <laughs> right? yeah. like yeah. I kind of hope that there would be a little bit some deeper cuts in that category. Like I know it's a I know it's a Jeopardy round category. It's not a double Jeopardy, but like you know, Shofar was I guess like that was really the deepest cut. The other ones were like a xylophone, a maraca. Mm-hmm. Where's the didgeridoo from? Yeah, yeah. I was I was hoping for, you know, even even a shamisen, a balalaika, a Peruvian nose flute. You know, mm-hmm. like a kalimba. I don't know something. Yeah, that's okay. In my ongoing, how many of the Jeopardy clues can you get just by knowing all of Hamilton verbatim? Three. <laughs> Three of the clues about Aaron Burr, I think you could get just from Hamilton. The man he tied with 73 electoral votes in 1800 at the $200 level, that was Jefferson. The current name of the New Jersey College he graduated from at age 16. You don't only need to know the first song, the second song, I guess. That's Princeton. Steve got that one. And the man he went to New Jersey to meet on July 11th, 1804. That's like the whole point of the thing Mm -hmm. that's hamilton right but apparently he introduced dolly todd and james madison that was news to me yeah interesting indeed yeah valerie guessed that he had introduced dolly todd to lincoln i think seeing todd and and like that sort of pavlov mary todd lincoln for her but you know this is this is awfully early for that. Daily Double number one is in Let's Play Sportsball at the $600 level. It is pick number four, and Steve finds it. He's at 800 Valerie's at zero, and Josh is at 400 He wagers 1000 and he gets the clue. The guy who invented this sport in 1895 called it Mintinet. But the over-the-net exchanges soon got it a new name. Steve tried what is badminton. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Uh, but it's not correct. This is volleyball. Yeah. Yeah. Real nag bait there. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Steve is at 5,400. Valerie's in the red at negative 400. Josh is at 5,200. And the double Jeopardy categories are President's Executive Orders, Happier Movie Endings, L on Earth, L in quotation marks, Geometry, Rankly Speaking, and You Need to Clear That Up. Happier movie endings was kind of weird a little bit. Mm-hmm. You could figure them out, but it's like, I don't know. It, I don't know why it felt so weird to me. Forget it, Jake. It's well, hold on. Evelyn's OK. The bullets missed her in the car. She's fine. And the cops are letting her go. That's Chinatown. Like there are the endings of movies that like don't exist, right? Like, <laughs> right. Right. Like, yeah, right, it, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I get what you're saying. That, that must be why it feels so weird. <laughs> right, because like, <laughs> like there there is this imaginative element that takes it from kind of straight trivia to something a little bit different. Mm-hmm. They're all, I think they're all gettable. You know, yeah. you have to get them from keywords plus some kind of like, you know, like you have to like, you know, opposite <laughs> mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. thing. Right. But like, you know. I describe a movie and you name the movie that's trivia. I describe something that doesn't happen in the movie, but you know, like but I'm imagining st- right, like the right. opposite ending, right? Like, is it still trivia? Is like, it's, 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 it's like, we're adding a We're adding an element here. Right. I don't know. I see dead people, Dr. Crow, but you're not one of them. You're very, very much alive and happily married. 
the sixth sense. Now that's just um, rude. <laughs> I mean, he's clearly not. He's yeah. clearly not happily married. Uh-huh. Daily Double number two shows up in the geometry category at the $1,200 level. Pick number six. Valerie finds it. She is at 400 Steve is up to 8,200. Josh is at 5,600. And she wagers the 2,000 that she can. Gets the clue between 2 and 2.50 p.m. The minute hand on your watch covers this many degrees. And she doesn't quite do the math. She guesses what is 350. But each minute is 60 degrees. So that's 300 Mm -hmm. degrees. Yeah. And Daily Double number three is in President's Executive Orders at the $1,000 level. It's pick number 21, and Steve finds this one. He's at 12600 with Valerie at 2800 and Josh at 12400 He wagers $2,500, and he gets the clue, providing assistance for the removal of an obstruction of justice within the state of Arkansas. And he gets it correct. It is Eisenhower, and this is the executive order desegregating little rocks high schools so yeah yeah this was apropos yep apropos this was on the evening that i saw the first of of mini gene brown's presentations at my school so that was that was a fun connection and and i had my my older child in the room and he couldn't remember the name of the president but he knew right away that like this was about the person he'd just seen talk so that was really fun yeah you know, that is really cool be like oh she's really important <laughs> Jeopardy yeah she important, you know yeah she, she yeah she comes up she's a thing that everyone should know mm-hmm. yeah that's yeah. awesome mm-hmm. so at the end of the double jeopardy round steve is at nineteen thousand one hundred. valerie is at 5200 josh is at sixteen thousand four hundred. final jeopardy category is word origins and the clue is though it meant seasickness in latin this six-letter word now refers to a more general feeling of sickness uh, Valerie wrote, what is nausea? That is correct, but she wagered nothing. Josh wrote, what is nausea? Which we know is correct. Wagered 27.05, so takes a $5 lead over Steve. And Steve wrote, what is malaise? Or really, what malaise? Which mm-hmm. is a seven-letter word. But if it's all you can think of, it's close enough, I guess. Yeah. Made uh-huh. a cover bet of 13.701. Yeah, I, like Steve, was trying to find words that meant feeling ill or unwell in general, not Mm. the sort of nausea is more specifically, right, like that kind of stomach upset, right? So, you know, I was like, malaise, fatigue, like unwell, no, that's not going to work. That's clearly not from Latin. Impending sense of doom, (laughs) that's too long. (laughs) Do you know that impending sense of doom is like a medical symptom that is associated with like early signs of like heart attack or like imminent seizure or it can be anyway i was i was, I was not to, aware of that yep that's a, that is a that is a real medical term a sense of impending doom or maybe it's impending sense of doom i don't remember but anyway yeah i was i was with steve i thought that the clue sort of pointed you toward feeling unwell in general uh, and something more mm-hmm. more general than nausea sure yeah but that means another second place victory this week and josh moves on Yes, indeed. And that brings us to Friday. This is semifinal game one. And our contestants are Joe Velasco, a director of customer care, originally from La Mirada, California. Lawrence Long, a nursing student and stay-at-home uncle from East Bend, North Carolina. And Sam Stapleton, a college consultant from Los Gatos, California. Now, 
this is semifinal game one. Yep. There's going to be two more semifinal games and then a two-day total point affair. That takes us to Thursday. What's happening after that? Are we just going into the new round on a Friday? I'm sorry. I know this is not what we normally do, but I, I'm just I'm just mathing the math right now. And um, it doesn't I'm, really math. Yeah, I mean, we're we're on spades right now. And if we finish up spades, then we're on to what? I mean, I know what the four suits are. I just don't know the order that they we're doing they it. They don't have an order, right? Like, is there a yeah. canonical order of the card suits? So, so I like have so many questions. <laughs> well, I mean, that depends on the game you're playing. But according to the very helpful how it works graphic, <laughs> the spades is in the uh, upper left quadrant. I found it. It's on. It's in the schedule tab. There's a yes. If you're on Jeopardy Skip. and you oh, uh, there we hover go. over track, go to Champions Wildcard and go to the schedule tab. So yes, we are going into quarterfinal one of diamonds on Friday, October twentieth. Okay, and then <laughs> because and then yeah. clubs and then hearts. Okay, great. I just like things to end on a Friday. It's all I'm saying. Yeah, it feels nice to do that. Yeah, but, all right. you know, it, if nothing else. Jeopardy is subverting our expectations this season. They sure are. All right. Well, our Jeopardy round categories are we whistle while you work, back to school, sports star, let's get medical, who said this, awards and honors, and like a rock. Like a rock. Was that Chevy commercials that you used to use? Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. It was interesting to me the $1,000 level of let's get medical. uh, Yeah. July 1976, a form of pneumonia caused the deaths of 29 members of this organization in Philadelphia. Sam said, "What? what's Legionnaires? That's the Which disease. Is what we, we refer to that as the disease, but also, I mean, the organization is the Legionnaires, but can ask for a more specific, and he, he got it right, the American Legion or American Legionnaires. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that a more specific was entirely necessary, but I guess there are, like, there are other Legions. Yeah. So I guess it makes sense. Mm-hmm. The whistle category was upsetting mm-hmm. on a on a number of levels. Okay, Audito- so tell me aud- auditorially, <laughs> artistically, I don't know, spiritually. So, six hundred dollar level had someone whistling the 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 main theme to Beethoven's Fifth mm-hmm. Symphony. You had to name Beethoven. They whistled O Canada. Okay, they played a slide whistle. Mm-hmm. Which modulates its pitch like a trombone. I'm not sure modulate is the right term there. Yeah. I mean, I guess if you consider, you know, I'm going to say no, because I don't think a slide whistle can really modulate. It can change tone. Mm-hmm. But modulate implies a certain, like, cyclical nature or, like, yeah. like alteration of fundamental. And, like, well, a trombone, yeah, you can you can change the harmonic partial you're on and move the slide thus in a i guess a modular fashion i don't know that a slide whistle can but whatever and then i don't know whistling the beginning of vivaldi's four seasons (laughs) yeah i mean cool it it's unique i was not expecting that for sure (laughs) i i will give them credit for that but like leave that one behind i think yeah spiritually (laughs) spiritually upsetting (laughs) yeah all right daily double number one is over in the who said this 
category at the $600 level. Pick number nine. Lawrence uncovered it. He is at 2200 Sam is at 1600 Joe is at 2000 He bets it all. It's the right nice. move. Mm-hmm. Got to go for broke on this one. He gets a clue. In a 1974 national TV address, he conveyed, our long national nightmare is over. That classic quote. And he gets a correct with who is Ford. Mm-hmm. Gerald Ford. Yes. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Sam is at 4,000. Lawrence is at 6,000. Joe is at 4,600. We got a tight game. The double Jeopardy round categories are landlocked countries, pre-fame celebs in ads, craftsmanship, vocabulary, round midnight, and felonious monks. (laughs) Ken points out that's the worst kind of monks. I don't know, (laughs) Ken. You sound like a square. That's all I'm saying. I'd like to hang out with some felonious monks. I think I would. Maybe not the $400 level. In 1589, a fanatical monk named Jacques Clement assassinated this country's reigning King Henry III. That was France. Might not want to hang out with him. Mm-hmm. And actually, you know what? As I'm saying that, most of these, most of these, I probably wouldn't want to hang out with. Like Torquemada. Yeah. No, thank you. As the two thousand dollar clue, Pol Pot. Definitely not. Definitely not. Don't hang out with that guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I take I- it back. I don't want to hang out with these felonious monks. Yeah. I don't know anything about who John de Roma is from the 16th century Protestant book of these. Uh, that's martyrs. I just Googled him to see if I could find out more information about whether I would want to hang out with him. <laughs> so if I need to make a decision on that tonight, but I, I couldn't, I couldn't figure out from a quick Google, which, which figure he was. Mm. Um, so who knows? Maybe he was fun. Martyrs but- though. Probably not. <laughs> Typically don't don't seem like the party animal types. Yeah. At the $400 level of vocabulary now found in some dictionaries, IMHO, when used in emails and texting, is short for this phrase. And Joe said, in my honest opinion, and I had never heard it that way. They took it. Oh. I always hear it as in my humble opinion, but, you know, I guess, I guess either way. I guess I guess there are there are reference points for both, presumably. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've I've heard honest. Mm-hmm. They have sort of different connotations. I feel like maybe I need to retire or second guess myself on using IMHO because, like, there are sometimes mm-hmm. I'm being facetious about whether my opinion is humble, <laughs> and sometimes I am really trying to you know <laughs> moderate myself a little bit, but. You know, if somebody else is reading the acronym differently than right. I intended, you know, I don't know. I'm going to have to think about that. I don't know. Self-reflection, I think, is not useful, especially mm. in communication. Mm. We should probably not worry about that at all. Yeah. Around midnight, the $1,200 level. Her, drink and dance and laugh and lie. Love the reeling midnight through. For tomorrow we shall die, but alas, we never do. That was a triple stumper. And somehow, while I was waiting for somebody to ring in i decided that i was quite sure it was the poet christina rossetti (laughs) (laughs) something about it sounded kind of goblin market to me okay Um, (laughs) it is dorothy parker (laughs) it is yeah a much shallower cut there yeah for jeopardy dorothy parker Uh, yeah joe tried who is dickinson which you know it's a poem (laughs) yeah it's a poem on jeopardy death is mentioned sure and they indicate it's a female poet so like Mm -hmm. you know sure 
Not a bad guess. Yep. Yeah. Daily double number one is in landlocked countries. It's at the $1,600 level. And Sam hits it on the very first pick. He is at 4,000, right where we left him at the end of the Jeopardy round with Lawrence at 6,000 and Joe at 4,600. He makes it a true daily double. Great move. And he gets the clue. Wagadugu, the capital of this country, is about 500 miles from the seacoast. And once again, we're at the $1,600 level with a world capitals question. And Sam knows his world capitals. This is Burkina mm-hmm. Faso. Yep. Why are we? Why? Why? There's a lot of them to learn, but like, I would love for them to stop putting world capital questions at the super high value levels. I mean, yeah, there, there, there are a lot of them, but there, it is a contained list. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Like literature is such an open-ended thing, right? There are so many books and so many kind of interpretations of things that you could do that, but like geography is very much this is what this place is called. Mm-hmm. It should be recognized as being more gettable. I don't know how to word what I'm saying. Yeah. If but I get yeah. what you're saying. Yeah. I, I I'm with you. Mm-hmm. Daily double number three is in vocabulary at the two thousand dollar level. Pick number sixteen. Joe finds it. He's at 7,800. Sam is at 14,000. Lawrence is at 5,200. He wagers 2,500. I don't know if he's not super confident or what, but maybe you would have gone more. Gets a clue. Having all five vowels in alphabetical order, it means cleverly amusing, but it can also be snarky in tone. And he is not able to give any response. They're looking for facetious. Mm-hmm. So I guess it's good he didn't bet more because he drops down. That's right. And at the end of the double jeopardy round, Sam is in the lead with 18,400. Lauren's at 10,000. Joe is at 7,300. And the final jeopardy category is royalty with the clue before his death in 2005. He said he was probably the last head of state to be able to recognize all his compatriots in the street. Joe tried who is King Hussein. That is not correct. He didn't wager anything though. So he stays at 7,300. Lawrence tried who is King Rainier, and he was close, but mm-hmm. not close enough. He wagered everything. Yeah. Yeah. He wagered everything, so he drops to zero. And Sam tried who is Juan Carlos the first. It is Prince Rainier, not King, the third yes. of Monaco. And I think yes. they would have taken just Prince Rainier. Would they have taken just Rainier? I don't know. I think they, they might have taken just Rainier, but Oof. he is not a king. Monaco yep. is a principality. Yes. Which sucks that that's like, sorry on this technicality, you knew who we were talking about, but you just didn't give the right title. Yeah, I did not know his name at all. So, you mm. know, I would have been, that's, I guess that's why I'm not a a semifinalist in anything. (laughs) Wow. Don't. mm. Yeah. There are other reasons for that. Like, you know, not reaching farther back in, in time. Yeah. But yeah. So he misses that. But with only a $1,601 wager, he drops to 16799 and he is the finalist. So we'll see him back in a few days for our two-day total point affair. Yes. Rough break for Lawrence. Rough break indeed. Yeah. So that's the week. And we'll be we'll we'll be continuing on with the spades on Monday. But at this point, it is the midpoint of the episode where we remind you that we have a Patreon. It's patreon.com slash potent potables. 
you can find a little bit of content on there. We put the quiz questions up after we record while we're editing the episode so that our Patreon supporters can get a sneak preview of those. And that's where you can you can help us offset the costs of making this here podcast. It's here podcast indeed. Yeah. With our great professionalism and our witty banter. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. So thank you to everybody who's helping us out with that. And if you are, are a listener who feels like you could spare, you know, a couple bucks a month or something, come, come on over patreon.com slash potent potables. And of course, we know that there are things in the world much more important than our podcast. And we don't like to ask for money without acknowledging that. So some of the ones that we care about are in the show notes. Yep. All right, Kyle, what's the deep dive about? Oof. Well, I mean, we just had a triple stumper in Final Jeopardy about Prince Rainier. So are you telling us about Rainier or the royalty of Monaco? I am not. Ah, bummer. We had another Final Jeopardy triple stumper, and I believe that one was about irises. So are we talking about Van Gogh? We are talking about Van Gogh. Yes. Nice. Yep. Yeah, mm. with two Final Jeopardy triple stumpers this week, yeah. I felt like I had to I had to pick one of them. I mean, mm. don't hold me to it. I may at some point. I mean, you know, there. I there may. No, I may. There are walk, no rules here. I may walk right past some some Final Jeopardy triple stumpers in the future to go for something that I find more exciting. But but yeah, we're going to talk about Van Gogh. I'll touch a little bit on irises, but like, there's not too terribly much to know about irises, honestly. Mm. All right. So Vincent Van Gogh lived from March thirtieth, eighteen fifty three. To July 29th, 1890. That's not very long. He died at the age of 37. He was not well known during his life. Uh, he died young, and it is assumed or presumed by suicide. Although, uh, we'll get into it. But you know, that's there, there is a little bit of assumption making going on there. He moved around a lot. And I'm going to cover that in broad strokes. That's that's what I was referencing when I Kyle when I said that I've I've maybe learned a little bit, I'm not going to give us like a detailed play by play of every, <laughs> <laughs> every move. Um, okay. Yeah, his life was profoundly impacted by illness, mental, possibly also physical, and poverty. He had a well-preserved correspondence with his brother, Theo, which gives us a lot of detail about his life and just sort of the daily ins and outs. So, you know, there's a lot more information about, you know, everything with Van Gogh because because he and his brother were corresponding. So that's that's kind of those are some some broad strokes, but getting into the details a little bit more. Van Gogh was born on uh, March 30th, 1853, as I said, in Groot in the province of North Brabant in the Netherlands. He was the oldest surviving child of Theodorus Van Gogh, who was a minister of the Dutch Reformed Church similar actually to the church that I serve in the United States. Yeah, uh, a lot of the churches of this denomination, including my congregation, their legal names are like Old Dutch Reformed or things like that. His paternal grandfather was also a minister. So his dad and his grandfather were ministers. And his mother was Anna Cornelia born Carventus. He had three sisters and two brothers. There were some conflicted relationships there, but he was very close with Theo. He had a strictly religious and fairly claustrophobic 
childhood. His mother was very concerned about keeping up appearances. He was named after his uncle Vincent, who went by Sent, or, you know, maybe some, maybe there's some different Dutch pronunciation of that. His uncle Vincent was his dad's brother. Vincent was married to his mom's sister, whose name was Cornelia. Yeah. (laughs) So two brothers married two sisters, age swapped, right? Like his dad's older brother married mom's younger sister. But that's fun. And if you're like, didn't I just hear the name Cornelia? Yeah, it's Anna Cornelia. And then her sister, Cornelia. <laughs> so I don't know what was going on there. They could not think of very many names, but Cornelia was one. And naming um, a kid is so hard when you find a good name. Maybe you just stick with just it. Just stick with it. Yeah. He was sent to boarding school at age 11. He hated it. Yeah. Uh, his interest in art began at a young age. He was encouraged to draw as a child by his mother and had some influential relationships with art teachers in his childhood. And let's just let's just fast forward to 1869. He's 16. His uncle Sent obtains a position for him at the art dealer's Goupy and Cier. It's Cier, I guess it is, if I'm gonna pronounce the okay. ampersand as French also, in the in The Hague. In 1873, he's been working there for a few years. He's transferred to the London branch of the same art dealy art dealership. A couple of things in London. One is that he has an unrequited love. And another is he he becomes increasingly pious. Hmm. His father and his uncle arrange a transfer to Paris in 1875, where he continues to work for the same employer, but becomes resentful of issues such as the degree to which the art dealers commodified art. And he was dismissed from his position a year later. Uh, He returned to England. He had periods of employment as a teacher and then failed attempts to become a minister. He did like some like assistant work in a church, tried to go to theology school, but failed the entrance exam, uh, took a, a like missionary study course, which he also failed, and then took a position as a missionary in a coal mining district in Belgium, where he, I guess, was assigned lodgings, but then let a homeless person stay there and moved to a small hut, which sounds lovely to me, but the church authorities did not like him like that. They, they dismissed him from his position for undermining the dignity of the priesthood. Ah, uh, of course. Yes. Can't can't be too kind to the homeless. Got to be medium kind. That's right. He returned home to his parents for some years. His at this point in his life, his father advises that he be admitted to an asylum. So I'm not really sure what's going on. I don't. I didn't see more documentation about that. But like we're seeing some signs here that you know he's maybe not doing well. Mm-hmm. After some years with his family, he returns to in Belgium, which is another town near where his missionary post was, and starts to take up art in earnest, recording the people and scenes around him in drawings, with Theo kind of encouraging him to pursue art more seriously. He travels to Brussels later that year, following Theo's recommendation that he study with the Dutch artist Willem Roloffs. And that artist then persuaded him to attend the Académie Royale de Beaux-Arts. He registered in November 1880 and studied anatomy and the standard rules of modeling and perspective. In 1881, he goes back to stay with his parents for a while again. There's an extended visit from his cousin. Get this, her name is Cornelia. (laughs) She goes by Key. I know. (laughs) She goes by Key. He falls in love with her. Of course. Uh, I somehow I can't find a deep dive topic without it turning out that somebody fell in love with their cousin. He proposed marriage and was rejected. There was a bunch of familial conflict around this and some record of Van Gogh engaging in like self-harm, the immediate aftermath. Yeah. 
He went to The Hague to try to sell paintings and to meet with his second cousin, who was a successful artist by the name of Anton Mauve. Mauve invited him to return in a few months and suggested that he spend some time working in charcoal and pastels, which Van Gogh followed that advice. Mauve then took Van Gogh on as a student, working with him on developing his watercolor technique and introduced him to painting in oil and loaned him money to set up a studio. They had a falling out. I've seen two different explanations of that. One is that they fell out over the viability of drawing from plaster casts. And the other is that Mauve learned of Van Gogh's domestic arrangements, which is that he was living with a prostitute who had one young child and another on the way who she was, you know, she was, she was pregnant when Van Gogh met her. So either the, either, either this artistic conflict or or the, or the living arrangements, maybe both. Who knows? In any event, they, they had a falling out and seemed to, seemed to fall out of touch. When Van Gogh's father discovered the details of their relationship, he put pressure on his son to, to abandon this, the, the woman that he was with and her two children. At first, Vincent defied him, but he did eventually leave her in 1883. And then he moves around quite a bit. He settles in Nunan, focusing on painting and drawing. He has paintings of weavers and their cottages from this period. He also had a painting, the Parsonage Garden at Nunan, which was stolen from the singer Laren in March 2020. So, you know, that's there there are a few different like Van Gogh thefts. So one of the ones from this period was a was a notable recent theft. Hmm. He falls in love with Margot Begemon. They wanted to marry, but neither family was in favor. Margot was Margot was distraught and took an overdose of strychnine. Oh. But survived Van Gogh rushed her to a nearby hospital and she did survive. Hmm. Theo was kind of representing Van Gogh as an artist. There was interest from a dealer in Paris early in 1885, and Theo asked Vincent if he had paintings ready to exhibit. Van Gogh sent along his first major work titled The Potato Eaters and a series of Hmm. peasant character studies, which were the culmination of several years of work. He and Theo had some conflict or some, you know, some, some conversation around Vincent feeling that Theo wasn't, you know, adequately kind of representing and promoting him and Theo saying that his his work was like too bleak and gloomy and that, you know, impressionism was kind of on the rise and that he needed his work to be more colorful. If you look at the potato eaters and things from that era, they're kind of darker, a mm. more somber palette. In September of 1885, one of the young local peasants who he had sit as a model for his for his work, became pregnant. Van Gogh was accused of forcing himself upon her. No idea whether this is accurate, but the village hmm. priest forbade parishioners to model for him going forward. He moved to Antwerp that November, where he rented a room above a paint dealer's shop and was starving himself using mo- all the money he had to buy painting materials. Very serious ill health due to malnutrition, surviving basically on coffee and bread, and, you know, his dreams of being an artist, I guess. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He spent a lot of time in museums during this time. He was particularly interested in the work of Peter Paul Rubens and Japanese ukiyo-e woodcuts. He was hospitalized between February and March 1886, possibly also treated for syphilis. There was also an earlier hospitalization for gonorrhea. So, you know, 
Great. Yep. He took a higher level admissions exam at the Academy of Fine Arts in Antwerp and matriculated in January 1886 in painting and drawing. Quickly got in trouble with Charles Verla, the director of the Academy and teacher of a painting class. Because of his unconventional painting style, he also classed with the drawing instructor, Franz Wink. There's an apocryphal story that he was expelled from that institution. That's not actually correct, but he did stop attending classes. So if he'd continued there, he would have had to repeat the year. He didn't pass because he, you know, like he wasn't, he wasn't going, (laughs) but he did not continue. He moved to Paris. In March 1886, just two months. He moved to Paris two months after starting <laughs> at this, at this at the Academy of Fine Arts. No wonder he didn't, you know, get credit right. for finishing the year. <laughs> he moved yeah. to Paris. He shared Theo's apartment in Montmartre and met many notable artists of the time. Conflict arose between the brothers. Theo found living with Vincent to be almost unbearable. By early 1887, they were doing better. Vincent moved to a northwestern suburb of Paris. And the two of them befriended Paul Gauguin, who had just arrived in Paris in November 1887. Vincent arranged an exhibition alongside Bernard Anquetin and probably Toulouse-Lautrec, where the first two, who I'm not familiar with, sold their first paintings, and Van Gogh and Gauguin exchanged work with one another. In February 1888, Van Gogh left Paris, having painted more than 200 paintings during his two years there. He moved oh. to Arles. Arles is an especially notable place for, for him and his art, possibly with thoughts of founding an art colony. He rented a wing of a house, which is known as the Yellow House. And that was a really prolific period for him. Gauguin came to see him in Arles. Van Gogh was hoping to develop the friendship and maybe realize his idea of an art collective. The two painted together there. Gauguin depicted Van Gogh in a painting titled The Painter of Sunflowers. Their relationship began to deteriorate, though. Van Gogh admired Gauguin and wanted to be treated as his equal, but Gauguin was kind of arrogant. He was, you know, better known. They quarreled often and Van Gogh increasingly feared that Gauguin was going to desert him. And now we come to the ear incident, which has been made much of, but the exact sequence that led up to it is not really known. It's possible that Theo Van Gogh was in debt to Gauguin. That may have been part of the whole situation. Gauguin claimed that there had been several violent incidents or like incidents of intimidation with Vincent Van Gogh. There was a period of heavy rain that kept Van Gogh and Gauguin cooped up in the yellow house for several days prior to the incident. Um, And then after an altercation on the evening of December 23rd, 1888, Van Gogh returned to his room where he severed all or part of his left ear with a razor, bound the wound, wrapped the ear, and delivered the package to a woman at a brothel that he and Gauguin both frequented. Not a prostitute, like a cleaning lady at the brothel. I don't know. <laughs> he was found unconscious the next morning and taken to the hospital where he was treated by Felix Ray, a young doctor whose portrait Van Gogh would later paint. Van Gogh had no recollection of the event. So that contributes to kind of uncertainty around exactly what was going on there. And within a few days, the local police ordered that he be placed in the care of the hospital. Gauguin left Arles, never to see Van Gogh again. They, yeah, they continued to correspond. They were not like it wasn't, I mean, clearly it was complicated, right? But like, they continued to correspond. 
even considering forming a studio in Antwerp, although that didn't come to fruition. They didn't see each other again. Van Gogh returned to the Yellow House in January of 1889, but by March, the police closed his house after a petition by 30 townspeople who described him as Le Fou the the redheaded madman, and Van Gogh was sent back to the hospital again. In April, he moved into rooms owned by the same doctor who had cared for him after the ear incident. And then two months later, he left Arles and voluntarily entered an asylum in Saint-Rémy-de-Provence. I mentioned that he painted Dr. Felix Ray's portrait. He gave his 1889 portrait of Dr. Felix Ray to Dr. Ray. The physician was not fond of the painting. He used it to repair a chicken coop. Oh. Yeah. And then I guess I guess it wasn't like permanently damaged by that. He then gave it away. But it's, you know, it is it okay. is extant. You know, its location is known and it's in a museum somewhere, I believe. So Van Gogh entered the asylum on May 8th, 1889. He was accompanied by a caregiver named Frederick Sal. And the clinic and its garden became the main subjects of his painting. Some of his works from that time are characterized by swirls, like Starry Night. That's from that period. And he was there for, you know, for, for quite some time. We're approaching the end of his life here, actually. He had a severe relapse where he was um, depressed and unable to write from February to to April of 1890. He was still able to draw and paint a little bit, but was, you know, was really suffering during that period. Also during that period, he was invited by Les Vins, that is written as Les, like the French Les, L-E-S, and then XX. So Roman numeral 20, Vin is French for 20. So Les Vins was a society of avant-garde Painter, painters in Brussels. He was invited to participate in their annual exhibition. There was an opening dinner where Van Gogh's reputation was insulted, and Toulouse-Lautrec demanded satisfaction, like threatened to duel the guy. But the but the man who had insulted Van Gogh apologized for the slight and left the group. Um, that exhibition was where Van Gogh's only painting was only sold. The only painting that he sold during his lifetime, the Red Vineyard near Arles, sold for four hundred francs to a Belgian painter and collector by the name of Anna Bach, and that is the only painting that we know of that that Van Gogh sold while he was alive. His work was also included around that time in a notable Paris exhibition and earned praise from Claude Monet. Yeah. In May of 1890, he left the the clinic in San Remy to move nearer to like a like a homeopathic like doctor person named Dr. Paul Gachet in the in a Paris suburb. That would also put him closer to Theo. Gachet was an amateur painter and had treated a number of other artists, so he'd heard this man recommended through kind of artist circles and moved in May of 1890 to be closer to him and under his care. And then he died a couple of months later. So July 27th, 1890, he was 37 years old. He is understood to have shot himself in the chest with a revolver. He survived the initial shot, which happened in a rural area. He was able to walk all the way back into town where he went to a local inn and they were able to get him medical care. He was treated by two doctors. Theo was informed and rushed to his brother's side, found him conscious and in good spirits, but Vincent suffered an infection from the wound and died uh, a couple days after that initial wound on July 29th. So there have been numerous debates 
about the nature of Van Gogh's illness, and various retrospective diagnoses have been proposed. The one I've heard kind of casually before looking into it at all was bipolar disorder. You know, that makes a lot of sense to me, a a non-medical professional. Another one that I was not familiar with is a metabolic disease called acute intermittent porphyria. It shows up like intermittently. It can start in your 30s. And it's like weird chemical imbalances that can cause physical and psychiatric symptoms. Epilepsy might be a possibility or play a part. I read a really interesting article a long time ago suggesting vertigo as at least part of what was going on. And looking into it more, you know, to, for, for this, Meniere's disease came up, mm-hmm. which is an inner ear disorder that can cause both vertigo and tinnitus. Tinnitus sufferers are at a very high risk of a death by suicide because of that kind of in like the unbearable sound that you can't escape because it's, you know, kind of neurologically or like, you know, like it's, it, it's inside your body, you know, and vertigo, I can't remember where I came across this article. Maybe it was like a Best American Essays volume a long time ago. The writer of that one was suggesting, you know, that, that there were all of these complaints about him stumbling around town and that he was characterized as a drunkard. And, you know, he may have been drinking heavily, but also, you know, vertigo sufferers with balance issues can appear to be drunk. So that mm. was an interesting speculation, I thought. Yeah. In his life, he created approximately 2,100 artworks, including around 860 oil paintings, most of his work in the last two years of his life. His work is characterized by bold, symbolic colors and dramatic, impulsive, highly expressive brushwork. Van Gogh stayed within what he called the guise of reality and was critical of overly stylized works. He did not like Starry Night. He thought it had gone too far and that reality had receded too far into the background. He said portraiture was his greatest interest. He also painted a lot of self-portraits, 43 of them from 1885 to 1889. Flowers were another frequent topic. So our question that you know inspired this deep dive was about the painting irises. And if you remember, I was saying, oh, I thought it was yellow. He has so he has actually multiple iris paintings. There's the one called Irises, which is in the Getty Museum in LA. And the one I was recalling when I thought of Van Gogh and irises is called Vase with Irises Against a Yellow Background. And that one is prominently displayed in the Van Gogh Museum in Amsterdam. Hmm. Cypresses come come up a lot. 15 of Van Gogh's canvases depict cypresses. And wheat fields are common. Orchards are common. You know, a lot of focus on the landscapes and people that surrounded him. Theo died not too long after Vincent van Gogh, and Vincent van Gogh's art gained critical recognition after his death, and his life story captured the public imagination as kind of a misunderstood genius figure, due in large part to the efforts of his widowed sister-in-law, Johanna van Gogh Bonger, who had married Theo not too long before Vincent van Gogh's death. So she was a Dutch woman in her 20s. She hadn't known either of them very long before first one and then the other died. And after Theo van Gogh's death, she all of a sudden was, you know, in possession of hundreds of paintings, uh, as well as as well as their letters and her infant son, Vincent Willem van Gogh named Vincent after after, you know, his uncle, Vincent van Gogh. Henri Matisse happened to be 
shown some of Van Gogh's work and it was influential for him. In 1901 in Paris, a large Van Gogh retrospective was held at a gallery and Van Gogh's name became more recognized and his his fame grew, reaching its first peak uh, per Wikipedia in Austria and Germany before World War One, influenced in particular by the publication of Vincent and Theo's letters in 1914. Mm. And sort of this 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 began this kind of mythology of Van Gogh as this intense, dedicated painter who suffered for his art and died tragically too young. His nephew, Vincent, inherited the estate after his mother's death in 1925. And Vincent Willem Van Gogh led the charge on creating the Vincent Van Gogh Museum and the foundation that now has possession of many of Van Gogh's works. The Van Gogh Museum opened in 1973, and it is the second most popular museum in the Netherlands. Hmm. There's a 1934 novel by novelist Irving Stone titled Lust for Life, which is based on Van Gogh's letters to Theo. And there was a 1956 film adaptation of that novel. Both of those things made Van Gogh's name better known in the United States. We haven't mentioned Nazis yet, really. So let's Aww. let's talk about that for a second, because during the Nazi period, a large number of artworks by Van Gogh changed hands, many of them looted from Jewish collectors. Some of those works have disappeared, others have resurfaced in museums or at at auction or have been reclaimed. There have been lawsuits about some of them. There are dozens of Van Gogh works still missing and 73 works that are listed on the Nazi era provenance internet portal, which is this interesting project documenting works that are currently in US museums that changed hands during the Nazi period. Not necessarily all of them changed hands under, you know, coercive or like like theft circumstances, you know, but like it tries to document works that changed hands during that period and and how. I haven't, yeah, I guess I don't I haven't looked into it that thoroughly, but it looks like a really interesting project. I was intrigued by it. Mm. Van Gogh's works are among the world's most expensive paintings. Those sold for over the equivalent of a hundred million dollars adjusted for inflation include portrait of Dr. Gachet. Portrait of Joseph Rulin and Irises, which hmm. is the the work that we th- that started this all. So okay. that's what I've got on Vincent Van Gogh. Wow. Yeah. All right. And are you ready for a quiz? I I think so. All right. All right. You are starting at ten points because yeah. you got. The very first question, right? And then each of these are inspired by a Van Gogh painting, not about the painting itself. But then, you know, after after the clue, I'll, I'll you know, I'll say a, a tiny little snippet about about the painting. Yeah. So that's how we're doing that today. All okay. right. Question one. The Potato Eaters highlights the harshness of peasant country life. Focusing in on potatoes, though, in what novel by Andy Weir, adapted into a film starring Matt Damon, does protagonist Mark Watney cultivate and eat potatoes in a whole different kind of harsh and hostile environment? That is The Martian. That is The Martian. That's correct. Yeah, so The Potato Eaters, the painting, is considered to be one of Van Gogh's masterpieces. It's an oil painting, but he also created a lithograph version of the image, one of which is in the collection of the MoMA, the Museum of Modern Art in New York. 
<laughs> You're at 20 points. Question two. Van Gogh painted several self-portraits with his bandaged ear. The bandaged part was, of course, the outer portion of the ear, but let's switch to the middle ear. What are the names of the ossicles or the three bones of the middle ear? English or Latin is acceptable. Okay. English is good because I can never remember all of the Latin, but they're mm-hmm. the, the hammer, the anvil, and the stirrup. That is correct. Or the malleus, malleus. the incus, and the stapes. Incus and the stapes, yes. Mm-hmm. The 1889 self-portrait with bandaged ear has in the background a blank canvas on one side. And then on the other side, you can see a Japanese woodblock print hanging on the wall. And that's Mm. one of the ways that Van Gogh incorporated his interest in that Japanese woodblock style into his art is that he would use like represent Japanese woodblock prints on the wall in the backgrounds of of Mm. portraits and things. Interesting. Yeah. You're at 30 points. Question three. Purple iris is the is the official state cultivated flower of what state? The state also has an official state horse that was a triple stumper this week. Its state reptile is the eastern box turtle and its state fruit is the tomato. Wow. I mean, the box turtle points me to a certain direction, but the only, I mean, if it's the one I'm thinking of from a triple stumper this week, that's the only way I got to this. And my guess is that it is Tennessee. It is Tennessee. I'm glad I'm glad you remembered the triple stumper because I went through their whole list of official state things, things and almost everything. Either it was, you know, really general and could be anywhere, or it was like, you know, the official amphibian amphibian is the Tennessee cave lizard. Right. <laughs> right. Like it had Tennessee like right there in the name. You know, the the official wildflower is the Tennessee coneflower. But yes, Tennessee walking horse was the triple stumper that I was hoping you would recall. And is the the Van Gogh work is 31st on the inflation adjusted list of most expensive paintings ever sold. Yeah. And inflation is ignored. It comes in 102nd. So still. Yeah. It's pretty wild. All right. Question four. You're at 40 points. Uh, Starry Night doesn't depict our star, the sun, but let's talk about the sun. The sun is a main sequence G-type star. Stellar types are based on plotting color versus brightness, and stars are informally classified with a color and a size. What is the two-word classification of the sun? I know it's yellow, and I believe it's a little guy. So I think it's a yellow dwarf. It is a yellow dwarf. Good job. Yeah. Yeah. He's a cute little yellow dwarf there hanging Mm -hmm. and burning away in the sky. Yep. Yeah. And uh, as I mentioned, Starry Night was one of the works that Van Gogh created when he was in the, the asylum, inspired by the view from his bedroom window there. It also appears on the Royal Academy of Arts list of 10 most parodied artworks. I was like, surely it is the most parodied artwork in the world, but I couldn't find documentation for that. And then when I looked at their list of 10, which I think is, you know, probably not, <laughs> probably there are no statistics behind their list of ten, the 10 most parodied, but I was like, oh yeah, no, I guess people do parody like American Gothic and right. like, you know, like the, the Campbell soup cans yep. mm-hmm. kind of thing or the Marilyn Monroe portrait. Yeah. Yeah. All right. You're at 50 points. This is going great. Question five. 
Van Gogh often painted the same subject numerous times. There are three versions, for instance, of Bedroom in Arles at three different well-known museums. One of the museums is the obvious one touched on in the deep dive. One was visited by Ferris Bueller on his day off, and one is the second most visited art museum in France. Name all three. And I'll, okay. I'll give you three points each if you if you can only come up with one or two of them. Okay, so the I think the only one you mentioned in the deep dive was the Van Gogh Museum. Yeah, that's the, okay. that's the gimme. Okay. Ooh, okay. Ferris Bueller went to the Art Institute of Chicago? That's correct. Okay. And the second most visited art museum in France. Mm-hmm. Do you want a hint on that one? I'll take a hint. I have an idea of it. It's in a former but... train station. Yeah, that's the Musée d'Orsay. Yes, good job. Yes. Yeah. Yep, that is, that's correct. And the bedroom in Arles depicts Van Gogh's bedroom in the Yellow House. All three versions of that painting were brought together for an exhibition entitled Van Gogh's Bedrooms at the Art Institute of Chicago, which also featured related works as well as a digital reconstruction of his bedroom. Yeah, it would be a, okay. if you, if anybody, you know, wants to, like Google it, it will be a familiar image that one will will kind of look like, oh yeah, I've seen that before. Mm-hmm. All right. You are at 60 points. Final category in the news. I mean, could I go two in a row with 120 points? I think I need to try. I think you need to try. So I'll bet it all. Yeah. All right. I think I think that's a great choice. Here is your question. In October 2022, two activists protesting fossil fuels threw what substance onto Van Gogh's sunflowers in London's National Gallery before gluing their hands to the gallery wall? This substance is more associated with Andy Warhol. I remember them gluing their hands to the wall. I'm not sure I remember what the substance is. Now you say it's associated with Andy Warhol. Mm-hmm. Who you just brought up a moment ago. I just brought up a moment ago. I mean, is it... Is it soup? Can you be more specific? Is it Campbell's soup? Can I be... Do I need to be more specific be more, than that? Yes, more specific than that. Oh, no, it's like a toss-up. <laughs> oh, there are two options. Oh, is it tomato there? soup? It is tomato soup. Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, that makes more sense for like... I'm not 100% bright... sure if they threw Campbell's brand tomato soup. But, <laughs> but they, brew, they threw tomato they soup. I am I, 100% sure it was tomato soup. Yes. All right. All right. Nice. Uh, sunflowers was displayed behind glass. So it's fine. It wasn't damaged. They got soup on the glass. Well, hey, you know what? They they did what they came to do, was which was throw soup and rip their <laughs> the palms of their hands off. If you if you had wanted a hint, I was I I mean I knew I knew you were going to get to soup once you brought up Andy Warhol like you separately, but I was like I was so tempted to throw in like a Donald Trump like soup for our families. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right 120 points you did it yeah that was great it. nice thank you uh, that was, was uh 
a good quiz and a very helpful deep dive. Thank you. You are so welcome. And thank you listeners for spending your time with us. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, leave a rating or review if you have a minute to do that. If you want to check out our Patreon, it's patreon.com slash potent And if you have friends who like Jeopardy, let them know about our podcast. You can all find us on Facebook at potent potables on Twitter at yep. On Twitter at potent potables one. Our email address is potentpotablescast at gmail.com, and our website is potentpod.com. We'll be back next week with the end of the spades and the start of the diamonds, I guess. Yep. So until then, may your minds be quick and your buzzers be quicker. Bye.